0: Oh, and welcome to episode four of the Star Wars Countdown from Some Like It, Sky. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined by my co-hosts for this series, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Today, we will be kicking off our discussion of the original Star Wars trilogy with the movie that started it all, 1977's A New Hope. As A New Hope opens, the Galactic Empire, led by Sith Lord Darth Vader, are locked in a struggle with the Upstart Rebellion and their leader, Princess Leia Skywalker, played by Carrie Fisher for control of the galaxy. The Empire kidnaps Leia, but before they do, she's able to leave a message for the only person she believes can help her, the old Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Sir Alec Guinness. But when farm boy Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill, happens to encounter Leia's mysterious message, it falls on him to track down Obi-Wan. Joined by trusty droids C-3PO and R2-D2, the Wookiee Chewbacca and hotshot pilot Han Solo, played by Harrison Ford, Luke and Obi-Wan set out to rescue the princess and destroy the Empire's new super space station, the Death Star. Jay, we'll start with you. With the prequel trilogy now under your belt, what are your general impressions of the movie which started the revolution? Does it still hold up after 42 years?
1: Short answer is yes. The long answer is I think I understand now why when I told people I was doing this podcast and that we were going in the order of the prequels, And then the original trilogy, that people were kind of up in arms. I mean, maybe this is why they were, and maybe this is why they weren't. But although, like you know, on its own, I like really enjoyed the movie. When I think about all that I kind of was hoping for coming out of the prequel trilogy, I almost felt a little bit let down. At least in terms of what I hope was going to pay off, you know, from the original trilogy. I know there's plenty of time and plenty of movies left, but there was definitely a lot. Of points where I was either sitting there thinking like, all right, what about this from the original trilogy, um, or not? What's
0: an example? I'm just curious to know.
1: I mean, if we're just going to jump like all the way to the end, that lightsaber battle between Vader and Obi Wan, right? I mean, again, oh,
2: you're so spoiled by the prequel I, trilogy. Get <laughs> so out of here! By
1: the prequel trilogy, and again, maybe that's you know, I don't know whose fault that is. Maybe my own, but I mean. It was the the seventies, man. Sure, I I don't even mean graphics-wise. I just mean given that all I've seen, you know, from their like their adventures and their battles, that seemed like a pretty anticlimactic way for Vader to kill him. You know.
2: Well, I think you have to ask yourself: Is did did Vader even kill him? Though
1: I mean, it doesn't seem like it. um, But even so, I don't know it. It it all felt like it came to a head so fast at least that one part. And again, like there are other like characters I'm waiting for to show up and this and that. But like, again, like by itself, I actually really did enjoy the movie.
0: All right, Scott, over to you. What were your general impressions? My general impressions. uh, I have a bunch
2: of them, so I'll I'll try to hit the highlights. But one of the first things that really stuck out to me, and I mentioned it in my letterbox posting about this movie where I've been kind of just throwing all of my random thoughts while watching uh, these movies and into the reviews And one of the first ones is that really comes to mind is that there's just so much more from the droids in this movie. And one of the things that I think really sets it apart from the prequel trilogy is that you get so much more from characters like C-3PO and R2 in especially C-3PO, but I think also, also R2 uh, in, in this movie. And that's like a huge positive. I think that they're great characters. They're really, they're used really well, both for comic relief and also for narrative development in a lot of ways. And I really, really appreciated that something that, it just reminded me how much more I wish the prequels had done that. Not that that would have necessarily made those movies better, but I think it could have been an avenue to just like balance things out a little bit more, especially in some of the more serious moments in those prequel trilogies that maybe take themselves a little too seriously. So as a big fan of the usage of the droids, I mean, also just it's one of those things where when you rewatch this movie or or Jay, maybe you've even felt this when you're watching it for the first time. And I think this might be a little bit, you you mentioned a bit about the lightsaber battle, but I think that this might also go towards what you're saying is that when you think about this, like I think you really have to remember that like this movie came out in 1977, not from like a visual or a graphic standpoint, but because like, this is a story that has been copied time and time again, that like very, you know, what would be really well-known villains, for us you know gr- growing up and and more recently are like based off of darth vader there are characters based off luke skywalker and it's really if you're not thinking about the fact that like this was kind of the first movie that that you know it built those prototypes for those characters to be played off of i think it's really easy to overlook and not appreciate certain things about this film I, you know i was actually reading a review from i can't remember who it was about this movie about how like you really have to tell yourself because it there are movies after this that have done the Darth Vader character kind of in a, in a singular movie a lot better than this movie has done Darth Vader, but this was the first movie to do Darth Vader, and I think that that's something I that's really interesting to think about when you go back and rewatch this. E- even with that, for me, I think this movie is great. It's definitely the best movie uh, that we've watched so far here in the Countdown series. I mean, we're only four of ten so far, but definitely the best movie. And it really speaks to, and, and I think this movie in terms of character development and and narrative development too, just kind of more broadly. I think this does such a better job than the prequel trilogy does around both introducing you to new characters, endearing them to you, and then making you really invested in them. Because, like you know, we talk about Anakin and, and Obi Wan, et cetera, from the prequel trilogy, and you know, it's very hit and miss whether you're super invested into some of those characters. And I think that you're invested pretty quickly in almost every character that you see here uh, in In A New Hope, and that's something that. I was really missing in that prequel trilogy, you know, just somewhere along the way, George lost that magic touch for some of those characters, maybe uh, in the prequel trilogy. But I mean, he's at his best here uh, when it comes to getting you really invested in key characters and, and every plot point, you know, top to bottom from these main characters, whether it be Luke, whether it be Leia, whether it be Han, you know, some of the other supporting characters, whether, you know, could it could be, it could be the droids. You know, I think you're just really invested in all of them. And that's really cool.
0: I mean, to put it bluntly, this movie still slaps. Um, really I was thinking about while I was watching the whole movie was whether something like this could exist today, right? Because say what you want about George Lucas's you know, filmmaker, I still think there he has some shortcomings and I still think even though this movie is great. Um but like Looking at this movie and realizing, you know, this is the first movie. All of this was a product, basically, of his mind, of his imagination. I'm not sure that we could see something like. I mean, certainly there there are pretty much no movie franchise that has been been as successful as Star Wars. But even to be successful at all, right? This original, this completely original um, franchise, this completely original world and characters that he created, all these different species i mean like looking around in like the ma's Mo- eisley cantina scene like all of the different weird creatures and stuff you get in that one scene alone like i'm just not sure that people would react the way that they um the way that they did in 1977 um to something like that today uh i mean i think like a good example even though this is based off of source material like alita battle angel was a movie we saw this year that created like its own world it had um a lot of different types of characters and people just didn't go for it. Um, it didn't take in box office numbers. I mean, I'm sure there's other factors behind that, but it really is like, you know, it's, it's all about the franchise movies nowadays. Um, and it's hard to see how an, a completely original franchise, um, like star Wars could, could get off the ground in, in 2019. And, um, that's, you know, that's a shame that says some stuff about 29, uh, Thank goodness that this movie didn't come out in 2019, that it did come out in 1977, um, because I think uh, it was appreciated for for what it was, which is um, an incredibly uh, entertaining and uh, epic scale story um, with a a really lovable cast of characters. I mean, I think you're right, Scott, that. the cast of characters was somewhat hit or miss in the prequels. Um, we definitely had our favorites, but we also had, you know, several who we weren't huge fans of. Um, there's not really much of a weak link in the bunch here. Um, even though like the character development, so to speak, isn't like, you know, there's not a, there's still not a whole lot of nuance to these characters. Um, you, you take to them like from, from the beginning, whether it's, uh, you know, princess Leia, we see in that first scene in Tanta on Tanta four. Um, whether it's Luke, you know, the the farm boy. I think, you know, Luke can, Luke can be a bit of an annoying character at times, but um, not to the extent of, of Hayden Christensen in, in Episode 2, at least. I don't think he ever reaches that level. But, yeah, like you said, the droids. Um, and Han Solo, of course, is, I mean, maybe the best character in all of Star Wars. Um, Darth Vader, a great villain, you know, you know that's probably true but still i was like really shook during the first scene of the movie here the first time you see darth vader when he walks through that uh door on tantive four i was like dang like you know they they really make him look intimidating from the beginning even even though know, without knowing at all who darth vader is um i was like did a really nice job with introducing him and like Uh, you know, his introduction into the movie is like one of the most epic moments for sure in the movie. Um, and so, yeah, like all all of them, it, it had been a minute since I've seen, since I've seen this one, I'm ashamed to say, but, um, it holds up really well. I actually thought the visuals were, were pretty good. I mean, the lightsaber battle. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's definitely not on the scale of what we see, particularly in episodes two and three and episode one, but, um, you know, I think that's just a sign of the times. Otherwise, I think the movie looks great. I mean, it's possible that I was watching a somewhat remastered version and that, 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 um, you were rolling it, but you were. Yeah. Uh, I think that the space stuff still looks great. The character design, um, is not as clunky as it could have been, uh, for, you know, like Chewbacca and, and R2D2 and those characters like that. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a great time. There's, there are just so many, like, uh, lovable moments and like lines and scenes like i was i was shocked even going back and watching this how many like memorable lines and moments that there are like in every single scene there are like one or two lines that like are some of the most famous lines in all of star wars and i guess it makes sense since it's uh the first movie but um still there was a great experience and yeah, I I just had a great time, and I'm I'm excited to watch episodes five and six uh, again now for sure to to round out the trilogy. But uh, this movie's great. Uh, I it would it would not have uh, spawned the franchise. It did if it wasn't great. Uh, guys, anything else to add as far as general impressions?
2: I gotta say, I think in terms of most successful movie franchises of all time, I think Kevin Feige probably has a bone to pick with you about that. But no, I think that. Yeah yeah i think i think that i mean this movie it is wonderful you, you talk about han solo i didn't really touch on him too much yet but like yeah i mean harrison i had forgotten how just awesome harrison ford is in that role um we'll talk about alden eric aaron right alden aaron right because i can't remember um yep. from solo when we get to it in you know a few weeks from now but i man harrison ford is a real treasure
0: that he is um and, you know, he wasn't a movie star at this point, too. That's a crazy thing to think about as well, because Indiana Jones came um, three years later after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he was kind of an unknown, but like he was I, you, you cannot imagine that anyone else could have played this role like from from the moment you see him on screen. But that's actually a good transition to our next topic, uh, which is the performances uh, in this movie, not just Harrison Ford, but the whole cast. Obviously, uh, the people who made the, all of these roles famous uh, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, uh, Harrison Ford, but even you know, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, Kenny Baker as RGD2, all of these uh, uh, iconic cast members. Anthony J. We'll start with. D3PO. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and James Earl Jones as Darth Vader. Sure, well, we're yeah, at yeah. It. um Jay, we'll start with you. Who stands out uh, in this very colorful cast to you?
1: Well, I, as you guys have already touched on, I mean, Harrison Ford, you know, I think from the moment I saw him, I would obviously heard a lot about him. Like, I don't live under a rock. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, as I live under a rock insofar as I'd never seen a Star Wars movie, but not so far as I'd never heard about them. Um, and Harrison Ford, I mean, was, like you said, a true delight on the screen. I even thought Carrie Fisher was a lot of fun. I didn't find Mark Hamill annoying, um, and Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, absolutely killed it.
0: Scott, how about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I already waxed lyrical a little bit about Harrison Ford. I could probably just spend the whole podcast talking about him. He's definitely the standout. I mean, we'll get around later to selecting MVPs, and maybe I'll save some of my some of my spiel for that. I I think every time I do revisit start like this episode four or New Hope, I think I do as much as I try to cut. Mark Hamill some slack, but I I guess I don't I know I know from having watched all the rest of the movies already that you know that, that I think that this gets better, but this he he I, I I do find him a little bit annoying. I think whether it's Mark Hamill just really c- coming into his own in this role over time or this character Owen, yeah, exactly. I mean he, he's he, he's a kid like he, he's a kid. Luke is a kid to be precise, and but- he's annoying in that sense.
0: Well, this is one question that I had. Like, how many years do we think this took place? Like, because after episode three, because I mean, I'm sure the number, the number's out there, but just like speculating because, because like Luke obviously is supposed to be like 19 or 20, like, he looks older, but, um, but then, like, Obi-Wan, I mean, this is one of those things where they, like, you know, obviously weren't thinking about the bigger picture, like, when they created this movie. But, uh, like, Obi-Wan looks like he's aged about 40 years since we last saw him in uh, Revenge of the Sith.
2: Yeah, I believe it is 19 years. I'm, I'm looking it up right now about, like, when the year is here on okay. the Star Wars timeline. Um, I believe it's 19 but let me—I'll I'll double check that as we go on. But yeah, no. So I, I think Mark Hamill is definitely not the standout uh, in this movie. I think he's good enough, and, and he does endear himself over time. But there are, I think, certain scenes where you're just like, mm, this character is a little bit annoying. Uh, you talk about Uncle Owen, you some of those early scenes on on the vapor farm; uh, those are true. And I think even some of his interactions—you know—towards the end of the movie when he's in the cockpit of course trying to you know do his bomb run at the death star i think he can be a, a little bit n- annoying when he's having this like inner interchange with some of the other pilots whether it's um wedge or or whoever else, whoever the guy is from tatooine his name i can't remember but excuse me i think some of the other characters i think princess leia is is really an enigma in, in a good way right like she's someone who you're not you don't really ever get to know you talk about maybe there being not the most character development over the course of this film and she's uh, kind of a mystery and and I think that does her character a lot of good you know you know who you know who she is but you don't exactly know like who she is like you don't really get to understand what her motivations are besides the fact that you know she's this senator who doesn't very much like the the you know the the empire very much and he's kind of leading this rebel alliance or at least one of the leaders of the rebel alliance and you know she has some connection to Alderon uh, but you, you don't really know that much about her and I think that that Really lends to like the mystique or uh, of the character on the whole, which is a positive thing, and I think Carrie Fisher plays that wonderfully. She has that uh, ownership of her role and that uh, you know authority and empowerment that not that many other female characters from this time period do, and I really like that. And uh, I think that her dynamic, particularly with <laughs> Han and and Han's little like uh, well, a little bit more than a little bit of, uh, irreverence, I think that that is one of the particular stars of the film, and and you can you can see that. Uh, on screen especially in the second half of the movie once they the three of them come together I think other characters you talk I mean, I've already talked about how I really enjoy the droids you know whether you want to go the route of James Earl Jones playing uh Darth Vader or playing the voice of Darth Vader because it's David Prowse who's you know inside the costume I believe uh but you know another person to mention Peter Cushing for Grand Moff Tarkin who's in some ways, the real villain of this movie, uh, one of the interesting things, going back and rewatching it and thinking about the movie a little bit differently, is that Darth Vader, in some ways, is just kind of a henchman of the real villain of this movie, which is Tarkin. And, you know, of course, Tarkin doesn't quite make it out alive, this, or at least doesn't seem that way in this movie. Uh, he <laughs> yeah. uh, he bites the dust at the end. Huh, do you want to evacuate? Evacuate in our time of victory? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh and you know it, it, it's a good time I, I think Tarkin is a really interesting character and there's a reason why multiple books have been written about him in kind of the expanded universe and, and he's an interesting character that you only get to know a little bit about I would make a joke about how he's maybe the equivalent of a different character in, in the sequel trilogy but that would be a little bit of a spoiler probably so I'll hold back from saying that
0: thank you yeah I think I know you're I think I know who you're talking about but yeah, yeah. um Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to say about this cast. I think talking about Carrie Fisher, yeah, she doesn't have a lot of um, screen time in this movie. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't really the, this movie isn't really that much about her character as much as uh, the couple of movies to come are, but um, I think she does a really nice job. And I was surprised that like, this is a pretty strong female character like for a movie in 1977. I mean, like you look at her, her dynamic with Han Solo, like, Han is like your stereo because it's, you know, Star Wars is obviously heavily influenced by Westerns and Han Solo is your, you know, he's your John Wayne character. And if you've ever seen a John Wayne movie or any of those old, uh, Westerns, he certainly doesn't ever get told his place by a female. Um, and so to see that in this movie is, is kind of, uh, interesting to think about, uh, you know, to contextualize, considering that it was 1977 when, um, when this movie came out. So that was pretty cool. Um, Han obviously is awesome. He just has that, you know, he has that John Wayne swagger about him. That's why I think that uh, Harrison Ford was a perfect choice because um, he, he brings that really to all the roles that, uh, that he plays, even if he wasn't an established star at the time. Um, Yeah. Around the board, I, we, one person we haven't mentioned as much Alec Guinness, I think is a really good Obi-Wan. He, he definitely nails like the, old wise master like sage uh advice giving guy um i think uh he's he's perfect for that role um and i you know as much as the age you know difference as much as it seems like obi-wan aged a ton uh between episodes three and episode four i think that i really did believe like that um that this was the same character that we saw in um the prequel trilogy like i didn't feel like there was a lot of uh Disparity between the the Obi Wan's that we get, which I guess maybe is is as much of a credit to Ewan McGregor as it is to Alec Guinness, because uh, you know he had he was the one you you McGregor was the one who had to play off the established character. But um, watching them in this order, um, it uh, it is pretty seamless. I think the way that um, we move from obi-wan at age whatever uh 40 something i guess to 19 years later this older obi-wan feels like the same guy even though it was uh, a different actor so that was great and i thought that his relationship with luke um while you know maybe a bit undercooked maybe there's not like a ton of screen time for it um i I bought it i thought that you know he, he here he sees in luke his second chance to sort of um you know do right um because obviously his previous Padawan um is now Darth Vader and so uh to sort of make amends here in his old age um and so I thought Alec Guinness did did a really nice job and actually he was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie as a matter of fact
2: yeah also to close the loop on
0: it I looked up it is 19 years have passed since since episode three okay he aged quickly but yeah I three. think <laughs> Yes, he's, he certainly did. The the desert not good for those uh, features, I guess. Not good for the skin. uh moist, moisturizing the skin. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there you go. If that's that's a good trivia question, I believe Alec Guinness the only actor in Star Wars who was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance. So, there you go. It's a good performance. I see why. Um, all right, let's uh, talk about some of the action sequences now. Jay, you've uh, hinted at, you know, that maybe the lightsaber battle was a little bit underwhelming. I don't know if you want to say anything more about that, but we have some other action uh, in this movie. You know, a lot of the the space battle in, in particular at the end um, when the, the Rebel fleet is trying to destroy the Death Star. Um, we got a lot of stormtroopers blasting and uh, stuff like that. Uh, what, what was your overall take on the action? I guess the visuals of this movie, um, you know, being a, being it likely that you saw the remastered version from the 1977 original.
1: Sure, no, yeah, I'm definitely done uh, complaining about that lightsaber duel. I, I, <laughs> I can fully acknowledge that I'm spoiled by, you know, starting with the tril- the uh, prequel trilogy. Um, and yeah, I mean, keeping in mind, you know, the fact that this movie did come out a while ago, um, you know, like, obviously, like, you know, the, the effects in some parts, like, you know, not, this isn't me roasting it, but, you know, they just look clunkier than they would today. But, you know, I still thought it was pretty cool. And then just trying to keep, you know, in mind that, you know, this was, I think the first of it, I mean, you said like the first of its kind back then, right? Like it was still pretty cool. Like I definitely felt myself, you know, kind of like taken, you know, into the, I mean, into space for lack of a better term, right. Especially in that final sequence where they're trying to take down the death star, like, you know, it, it, it very much, it's funny because you're, you're very good, you guys, I guess, you know, reminding yourselves how this inspired so much other stuff. And to me, like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, this is just like that other thing. And it takes me a second to almost go back and be like, yes, but this came like 30 years before that. Um, and it was really yeah. cool to see, you know, and I guess, you know, I, uh, I still thought it looked very cool. Obviously, you know, it's not like, you know, clean cut CG or whatever as, you know, the prequels, but it was still a, a good time.
0: Scott, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't have any bad things to say about the lightsaber duel. Of course, I knew coming into it that it was going to be less, uh, less than what we'd expected. When I mean, we talk about the best parts of the prequel trilogy. You know, some of those movies It is this is the fight scenes that we get, and so uh, I wasn't too discontent. Or I guess uh, discontented is that even the right word? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It's been a long weekend. Uh, <laughs> discontented by uh, the the lightsaber duel between. Obi, you know, Alec Guinness is Obi-Wan and uh, Darth Vader. And I think that that scene is, if, if you approach the movie from a different angle, I think that scene is really interesting for a different reason. And, you know, you have this, you know, you, you I guess should say, you know, that Obi-Wan was the trainer of Darth Vader. He was the, you know, the Jedi master to the Padawan there. And so I think that if you just think about this movie insularly it it's a really interesting scene because you don't know everything that's taking place between the two of these characters but you know this is really a momentous and it it never feels like you know it, that uh, Obi-Wan is trying to necessarily defeat Vader in the scene and I think that makes for a really interesting uh, dynamic in the scene especially when you juxtapose it to every other lightsaber duel that we've we've watched in the prequel trilogy you know both people are usually trying to win the duel and you never get that impression
0: hand, yeah. I'm sorry I said they're going ham.
2: Yeah, and, and, and this is just a very different kind of fight. I mean, we're going to get different kinds of fights over the next two movies here in the original trilogy. But I think this one kind of, I guess, cr- carves its own path, so to speak, or, 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 you know, digs its own way in that uh, it's introducing you to the concept of a lightsaber duel while also having this kind of meta narrative in the background around, you know, this master and apprentice trying to, uh, I guess in some ways the apprentice finally overcoming the master. Um, and then also with the context of the prequel trilogy, you know, that, you know, Obi-Wan did, did win that last fight with Anakin, beat him pretty good actually. And so, you know, I, am sure that acts, it packs an extra emotional punch from the Darth Vader perspective to actually, you know, have defeated his master who, you know, essentially, you know, well at that point, you know, crippled and maimed him to the, to within an inch of his, of his life and, and getting that revenge there, of course, now, this is all history being written after the fact, of course, with the prequel trilogy coming later, but uh, in terms of the movies being made. But it, it really ties the narrative when we're watching it in the order that we're watching it um, and, and closes the loop on that. It, one of the things, you know, you talk about the last scene now and switching over to that and the, the big, very climactic battle. It's probably the best space scene we've seen so far. Uh, I'll hesitate and come back to whether or not you know by the t- by the time we finish watching all these movies, whether it's the best space scene that we see, but it's such a fantastic scene, even with the limited effects that it has. You know, if this were made, if that scene were made today, I'm sure the effects would be like ninety thousand times richer. the The Death Star would almost certainly look way cooler than it does. But in spite of all of that, it's still really awesome to watch them do these kind of trench runs through through it, and then you know have these very. Minimalist, <laughs> uh, I guess, dogfights in space with the Tie Fighters when they come out, and you think about how that again, just thinking about how that scene would be done today, you'd have like a thousand Tie Fighters on the screen probably against these like six X Wings or and Y Wings and whatever. And I think it's really cool that you know that's not how it was done because it, it allows you just to. Really absorb the scene for what it is, and absorb the, the characters in the scene as well, and not just the bombastic nature of a space fight like you might have gotten in the opening scene of Episode Three, uh, the last movie that we reviewed, which is a great scene, but a completely different one with so much more going on in the scene itself. And so this is such a such a nice balance between you know the dogfight that's happening in space. Uh, with some limited, of course, with lim- with limited resources, uh, given the the strain that would put on, you know, effects at the time and what was possible, but then also that allowing you to really focus on the characters of Luke and Darth Vader, too, when he joins the fight and, and
0: as well as some others. I, I guess I, I I was trying my best to look at this from the perspective of like how would this what would be my reaction if uh, I was watching this for the first time uh, and I think that uh, certain certain scenes stood out to me like you know even the very beginning of the movie that first shot of the star destroyer from underneath I'm like that's pretty cool um, you know even though we've seen shots like that in the prequels and all of that um, and yeah there there are some images that that still look really cool like the Death Star explosion. Pretty good. Um, pretty good for an explosion in 1977, uh, I have to say. And in general, like the production design and everything, I think is uh, kind of an underrated element of the movie. Like the inside of the Star Destroyers and the Death Star looks really like, uh, you know, it it looks like it should. Uh, It, it looks pretty cool. Um, the, you know, various huts and sort of locations on Tatooine. And obviously the cantina uh, is, is very well designed. Uh, and all the characters in there are, Uh, very creative uh so i think you know those technical aspects of the of the movie you know still hold up i i definitely understand like yeah maybe the lightsaber um battle probably you know isn't as visually satisfying as some of the others and i think there is a bit of anti-climax about it too just because the whole prequel trilogy it felt like was building up to this fight between uh obi-wan and anakin and so for the you know Obi-Wan and Anakin to get what is ostensibly like their last showdown. And it happened in sort of, you know, this five minute little, uh, you know, battle where, as you said, Scott, it doesn't even seem like either one is really trying to win or that Obi-Wan's really trying to win, um, does feel a bit anticlimactic. Uh, but again, that is one of those things where they probably didn't know, uh, you know, th- they couldn't see that far ahead to the prequels and uh, what they plan to do with that. But um, yeah, in general, visuals, action sequences um, are, are really good. And, uh, you know, the, the sound effects uh, have become iconic for a reason. The, those blasters, uh, you know, they, they'll ring in your ears for long after the movie. All right. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on is, uh, and particularly for you, Jay, coming from the uh, having just watched the prequels for the first time, what other uh, comparisons can you make to the prequels, maybe in terms of like the plotting and the story, um, or in general, just like the character development? Are there any uh, areas where you see uh, a step up or a step down from the prequels? Uh, or do you think this is pretty much on the same level?
1: I, mean, I think it's a step up overall. But Uh, Just to touch on some of the things you already said, like, you know, you've talked about, Scott Harvey, how the prequels were kind of building to that final showdown between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And to me, like, you know, that was something I really appreciated. And I guess just knowing myself, like, I really do like these kind of, like, long, arching stories, Um, which, you know, this movie, I think, does a, a good job getting me, like, excited for what's next without actually feeling like it's, you know, putting a lot of stock into, like, some grand overarching story i think there's some element of that you know with like okay like what's happening with obi-wan and luke now like but it's more i think it's more just from like a curiosity front and less so like oh this is where we're going because i think with the prequels i you know even when we were talking about like in the first and the second one like i had pretty clear ideas of where i thought we were going with this and right now, I'm I'm actually pretty clueless. I mean, I think the next movie is called Empire Strikes Back, so I have some idea of what's going to go down there. But other than that, um, I actually am still, you know, just more filled with curiosity than I am like anticipation. If that makes sense, like rather than like just waiting for something to happen, I'm now in a spot of like what happens next. I'm not waiting for something specific to happen. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Right? Yeah. yeah. Scott, uh, any thoughts on this movie, how it stands up to the prequels? I mean, I, I feel like I know your thoughts pretty well, but anything else to add there?
2: Yeah, I just, you know, given, I've already talked about this a little bit, so maybe this is a bit repetitive, but I just think that this movie really focuses more on getting you in, invested in the lore and characters and the story, more so than than the prequels ever really tried to do, and and I think that's you know, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. I think one of the reasons why it's able to do that successfully and why maybe it chooses to invest a lot into that avenue is because there are limitations to what you can do with visual effects at this time, right? And, you know, the prequels are heavily visual effects-laden movies for a reason, right? They are beautiful. Uh, I obviously had some qualms with uh, some some of the visual effects in the first movie, uh, but overall what it was doing What those movies were doing in the early 2000s, and I guess, well, 1999 for episode one was groundbreaking, right? Like they were doing incredible stuff with visual effects, really pushing the envelope on what was possible. And then this movie is also doing that, but because of the limitations of what it's doing, it can't totally, you know, hang its hat on its visual effects relative to what else is going on right and, and maybe that's easy for me to say 42 years later and maybe at the time that was george Lucas's intention was to hang his hats on the effects of the film I can't rewind that far and be able to tell that but because all of these movies or sorry all the characters in this movie stand out and, and it, you know really endear themselves uh to you in their own way I think that this movie is able to be a success where the prequels I don't know weren't to, for the lack of a better way to put it like they it had to make like the visual effects had to make up for the fact that you didn't necessarily care about every single thing that happened in the movie, but you know, to Jay's point around, you know, not just waiting for what's going to happen next, but like being excited about, all right, what's going to happen next. I think that, that, that I think that captures it perfectly what this movie is able to do. It's able to get you invested in every respect. And, and then you really just go from there. Right. And, and the experience that you're having is wondering like, all right, I, I need to know what's going to happen next. Whereas in, the prequels, it really felt like, I mean, I'm going to learn what's going to happen next and I'm just going to have to enjoy it as it comes. But, you know, to say that you're excited and and really interested in what happens next are, are different things.
0: Yeah. And I think from a storytelling perspective for what you're hitting on is that maybe this movie is more successful because they are just they're kind of telling a standalone story. Now, I mean, there is the one sort of loose end of, of Obi-Wan, you know, and his voiceover and with Luke and, you know, wondering what does this mean for Obi-Wan? Is he really dead? It kind of feels like, but you know, overall it kind of feels like maybe they threw that in there. Like, well, we'll see here's, here's a way we can continue the story. Uh, if the movie turns out to be successful, but for the most part, like you could see this as a standalone movie. Um, I think it ends in a pretty tidy place. You know, they, uh, Obviously, Darth Vader gets away, but um, they destroy the Death Star. Princess Leia is saved. Um, you know they they get their awards, um, and and everybody's happy. Um, and so I think uh, maybe the prequel suffered a bit in the storytelling department because they had so many, so much that they had to cram in in three movies, uh, and maybe things got a little unwieldy um, in in the way that those movies were plotted in, and that was wh- where some of the trouble came from. Um, uh, so I, you know, sim- simple, is maybe better in this, uh, instance. And I think maybe that's why this movie feels more successful from a storytelling perspective. I will say, um, one thing that jumps out to me though from the storytelling and that I wasn't a huge fan of, um, in terms of character development, um, was with Han, with Han Solo specifically the scene where they are in the control room on the Death Star, um, and, uh, they've just like killed the stormtroopers and, um, and Luke is trying to convince Han to go find princess Leia instead of just staying there in the control room where they're safe. And like eventually is able to succeed by like basically bribing him with money. And I don't know. I just felt like Han's behavior in that scene was very one dimensional, very like as much as yes, Han Solo is set up as a person who he cares a lot about money. He's very greedy. Um, I think the Han Solo that I understand, and maybe this comes from later movies, cares more about himself, uh, cares, you know, the most about himself and more about himself than he does uh, about anything else, including money. Uh, And I don't know. It just felt like uh, an overly simplistic uh, way to get, you know, Han to actually go on this rescue mission with Luke. Uh, And I don't know. I, I just didn't buy fully that uh, Han would be won over that easily by just the promise of, oh, well, you know, she's a rich princess, and so she'll probably give a lot of reward money. Do y'all have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I guess I wasn't bothered that too much. I don't know if it's that asynchronous with the rest of his character. For me, I definitely hear what you're saying, that maybe he is convinced a little bit too easily, but it's also we don't necessarily have the full backstory of exactly how much money that that he owes um That he owes phew, Jabba. I mean, yes, he at least owed him most, if not all, of the money he's getting for just transporting Luke and Obi Wan to um, to Alderaan. But well, I guess they don't quite make it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not 100 sure whether I have too much problem with that. One of the things that I thought, if we're talking about things that it's not necessarily too deep to get into, but you talked about earlier about how Obi Wan felt like a really linear character, or you could see the transformation from episode three, to episode four, and that time jump. For me, I actually thought that Obi-Wan was a much more conniving character than he ever was in the prequels. I mean, you talk about laying a trap pretty much and really trying to deceive Luke in some ways to convince him to follow this path that Obi-Wan is convinced is right. But you don't really, I don't think that you ever really see him do that in the prequels. And He's a very, in in many ways, like to a fault, an honest guy who's like really open about what he's thinking to everyone around him, and I and I just found him to be much more devious and conniving, not necessarily in a bad way, but like he you don't know exactly what all the cards he, that he's holding uh, because I mean he's clearly holding a lot of them, and it's not I'm not saying that he should like bear you know everything that he knows to Luke right away because obviously that would be extremely overwhelming, but I just got a very different vibe from him, and this isn't a complaint. But it's just something that I I noticed pretty quickly, I feel like when we were starting to be introduced to old Ben.
0: Yeah, no, that I think that's a good point. I think that uh is definitely true. I think maybe a lot of that comes from the fact that he has lived on Tatooine for some time. And, you know, Tatooine is kind of a smuggler's den, you know, particularly there in Moss Isley and in the Cantina. Um, you kind of have to be that way if you're gonna, you know, survive. And so, um, yeah that is definitely an aspect that is different of obi-wan's character perhaps from who we see in the prequels but maybe that's a product of what he's been doing since uh since the prequels have gone on although of course we don't know exactly what he's been doing we don't know um you know uh how how many years he's lived in tatooine uh we'll probably find out in that disney plus series maybe but um he's obviously been there for some times and i think that for some time, and I think that, you know, informs his actions.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe he was out across the galaxy searching for any Jedi to survive, who survived, but I'd imagine he's been living on Tatooine
0: for a good portion of that 19 years. I think you're right. Uh, Okay, before we get into our wrap-up, I do want to ask one sort of general overarching question, Uh, and, you know, this is something we can revisit as we watch more movies, but now that we have watched the original Star Wars, um, Jay, do you have any sense of, you know, what is it, do you think about this story? If you can pinpoint one or two things uh, about this movie and uh, this franchise that has caused it to become the phenomenon that it is, because of course, I talked up top about how I don't think it could be as successful as it uh, was in today's day and age. What, why do you think it was so successful?
1: Well, I think part of it, and this, I think tangentially touches on what you said, is just, you know, it was kind of the first, right? Like, I think right now, and this isn't to knock it at all, but I mean, there's just a, you know, saturation of like this kind, I mean, the sci-fi fantasy content, whereas I feel like back then there just wasn't. And that's not to say that anything would have succeeded back then, because like you guys have said, like this movie, you know, is good. It's tight. You care about all the characters, like the world has been built in a way that, you know, we hadn't really seen a world built before. I don't think at that point. Um, yeah. I think, you know, that kind of gave it what the, like, The foundation for you know everyone back then to kind of fall in love with it and i think you know it has probably held on because as i'm sure i'm going to learn the following movies you know were also like pretty good
0: some have said that yes (laughs) uh scott Scott, your thoughts yeah don't tell jay about what people thought
2: of the most recent one um i'm kidding uh yeah no i think that star wars has this like I don't know, you think back and I don't I definitely don't disagree with what you're saying around I don't know if it would be as popular I mean I'm I'm also pretty sure that I agree with you that I don't think it would be as popular today if it if it came out. I think that your comparison to Alita although there are some differences Alita has maybe some more faults than this movie does but aren't completely sorry, out of yeah. yeah, aren't completely out of line. Either I think that you get really invested in these characters uh, and that helps it you know it tells a, a very interesting story it has freaking lightsabers i mean that's really cool you know think back to 77 like that's different you talk about westerns being popular at the time and this being uh taking a lot of influence from westerns i think that that seeing seeing the western style of movie in a different context this sci-fi context was new and i think really captivating but also just a lot of nerd bo- like not a lot of nerd boys and girls just didn't have a lot to latch onto in 77 and like this really really fed that because it was really cool. It was super nerdy and it was awesome. I mean, Harrison Ford is really cool. You know, Princess Leia is a powerful female figure. And like Luke is kind of your average Joe who like grew up on a farm and is like saving the world. And so you have these three central characters who are all very different from each other. And I think a lot of people can see a lot of things uh, about themselves in these people and makes them really relatable. You know, it... Is it the perfect story? No, it's not. It's not the perfect story. But what you're doing is really, I guess, really pushing the envelope, really progressive from a visual effects standpoint. It's really innovating, uh, you know, the Western genre, which people were really into and still are today. I mean, but maybe to a lesser extent. But like, was really popular and putting it in a new context, telling a story that was interesting, building a world that was even more interesting, and then you have these characters that are pretty grounded, and and you know, even if you know, even if they're again not perfect three-dimensional characters always they are good enough definitely to you know pass the the, pass the sniff test and then also you can relate to them and I think that that kind of came together as a sort of thing that you know just really was was popular and really captivated the imagination of of people particularly uh particularly nerds and and, and, you know speaking to someone who feels that way myself uh, you know I don't know how it, this would have necessarily resonated or not resonated with me in the in 1977, but it, it was a forerunner of its type of movie of its genre, both in terms of sci fi fantasy and also in terms of comic book style movies. I mean, no, this isn't based on a comic book, but in many ways, this is like you. This is a superhero movie. You know, these people are force like wielders and like use lightsabers and do all sorts of stuff that like your average person doesn't do. And it tells this story where. People can, you know, rise up and have someone, I mean, we, it it, obviously hints that Luke's, you know, lineage is, is something a little bit more nuanced than he, you know, just growing up on a farm, this movie hints at that, but you don't see any of that until later movies. And I think that, uh, it, it just really created, it was a recipe for something that worked for people at the time and, and, you know, would it happen again now? Maybe, but probably not. And it was a time and place thing.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, and I, I do think that the space setting had a lot to do with it because, you know, there have been some space movies at this time, like obviously 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, I guess Close Encounter, Spielberg had made that. But in terms of like, like you said, transplanting that Western, that like Saturday matinee B movie adventure movie to a space setting uh, was not something that had been done. And, you know, sort of uh translating all of these uh stock characters uh so to speak from those types of adventure movies to a space setting um was really cool And in addition of course to all of the um you know the the effects and the different creatures and species and planets and this this whole um you know sort of uh befuddling galaxy that uh george lucas Created was definitely something that had not been seen before at the time, and so yeah, it definitely was a time and place thing. Um, but I'm thankful that even though we we weren't alive to experience Star Wars when it first came out, um, we've gotten it and that it has uh, persisted into the uh, into the modern day, and that we've you know got got the sequel trilogy. That I you know for, for me, we'll talk some more about this when we get to the sequel trilogy. But for me and and maybe for Scott too, we kind of was the trilogy that we kind of got to experience. Um, as if uh, you know, as many of the people who were alive in the seventies got to experience the original trilogy. I think my feelings in watching the sequel trilogy were probably um, pretty similar to the experience that those people were going through. So uh, that's pretty cool. Like er every generation sort of has their own trilogy. And I hope that that uh, trend will continue.
2: Yeah. I mean, also just to tidy up close encounters came out the same year. So I don't know if you want to say it was a a precursor to
0: star Wars. Okay. I've, I thought it was 76, uh, one year off. Oh, oh well. Um, okay guys, let's move into, uh, the wrap up phase before we do our MVPs, um, and score out of 10. I just have a very important question. Maybe the most important question that we've asked so far. Uh, who shot first? If you weren't going to ask it, I was going to Scott. (laughs) Oh,
2: Han. Definitely Han shot first. Yeah, definitely. Jay, do you agree?
1: I think so. Oh, God, I'm being put on the spot. Um, Wait, Jay, have you never heard this question? <laughs> no, like, have you no, ever been asked I, this question and wondered what I, it was about? I've definitely heard it, and I think it just, like, stayed latent in my mind until about 10 seconds ago when it was brought up again. And now I, I'm definitely hearing all the sitcoms referencing Han shot first. Um, and I, I think I'll agree with that. Han did shoot first.
2: That's the, I mean, it's super controversial to say Han shot first, though, because it makes him. it makes him a killer.
1: I um, mean, it I, changes his character. Hero. I was there, kind of.
0: <laughs> yeah, but also, I think, well, I think at this point in the movie, Han is not a hero. So, like, I think it makes, he is an anti-hero to some extent at this point in the movie. And honestly, throughout, you know, a lot of the trilogy, he he does kind of play a, a bit of an anti-hero. And so I think it makes sense for the character that we meet in that cantina. I think it makes sense for the character that we met in that cantina to be the one who shoots first. And, um, you know, we can comment on the morality of that. But ultimately, I think uh, Han gets his redemption moment uh, at the end of this movie by uh, helping the rebels to destroy the Death Star.
2: Yeah. And going back briefly before we talk about MVPs to something earlier, where you talked about the very last scene. They get their medals, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, obviously, guys, the biggest shortcoming of this film is to not have a weird Tesla orb at the end to give, <laughs> to, give to give to Han or to give to Han and, and and Luke. I mean, so disappointing that you can't have that.
0: Like yeah, episode one. definitely missing some Gungans in this movie. But other yeah. than that, a pretty complete package. <laughs> it's uh, the only thing I'm not right. on this movie.
1: Oh, what's Luke's midichlorian count?
0: Big, bigly. <laughs> <laughs> it's off the charts, I'm sure. Or I don't know, is it? We'll find out, I guess. Um. Okay, let's do our MVPs. Uh, Jay, your MVP for A New Hope.
1: It's close. I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to Carrie Fisher. I'm just so excited to see what comes next.
2: You, you, you're, you're curious how it. much more incest will happen in, oh, in this Oh, dear trilogy. God. Come <laughs> on,
1: man. Come on. Nobody knew.
0: We went the whole podcast without addressing that, but yes.
1: <laughs> Luke didn't know. No one knew.
0: Who shot first? It's true. <laughs> Scott, your topic. MVP.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was preparing to have to use something besides Han for my MVP because I just assumed Jay would have said it. Uh, so a, a brief honorable mention for the MVP. I'll say John Williams' score has gone unmentioned so far, and I think that oh, the score the score is amazing in the in this movie. Awesome. It's it's really special. Uh, I mentioned in my letterbox review that it just soars at all the right moments. It hits all the right beats. Not that it was ever bad in in the prequel trilogy, but it just it felt like it stood out more in this movie than in the other yeah, ones yeah and that
0: and that scene maybe more than any other the scene that hit me was when luke st- is standing out and looking at the sun on tatooine and the score was like crescendoing in the background like i got i got goosebumps from that like that was it yeah that was the scene i was watching when i wrote
2: it in my letterboxd review i was like whoo it's good yeah uh yeah no but but the real mvp uh I'll have to be more creative in future movies when he's still the MVP, but that's going to be Han Solo. It's going to be Harrison (laughs) Ford. I talked about saving my little spiel on him till, till now and uh, rightfully so, because I think Harrison Ford, you know, you talked about having uh, that sort of charm that he brings to, you know, almost every character that he plays uh, you know, whether it be Han, whether it be Indiana Jones, whether it be one of the countless other characters that he's played across the movies, he just has that like devilish boyish charm that he brings to the role that, you know, he's like the bad guy that you just can't help but like you call him an anti-hero early on. But like I'd say before, like you don't know anything about Han at that point. Like he's not a good guy. You don't like, I don't even think he, he necessarily becomes an anti-hero until the end of the movie when he actually does something good. I mean, yes, he takes, he takes Luke and Obi-Wan to, you know, Alderaan, but at the same time, he's doing that for money. Everything he does is, is for his own gain. And, and uh, and a large part of the, in a large part of the early, early side of the movie and that only begins to change a little bit towards the end, right, when, you know, he decides to stick around and help and help them out uh, in, in the final battle and in a very crucial moment that, you know, probably saves Luke's life. And, you know, doing something where he may not necessarily have been expecting monetary gain, which is a little bit, you know, it doesn't feel completely asynchronous with his character because... You can see him wrestling uh, like the, the the bad guy and the good guy inside him wrestling, I think, in other parts of the movie. But he doesn't do anything like that until that point. And I just think the character is wonderfully developed. I think Harrison Ford, is I mean, there's just no one better, no one better for the role. And it's easy to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty saying that. But the, the risk that they were taking on casting Harrison Ford in that role, I mean, the risk they were to some extent taking on casting all of these people in the main roles. I mean, Sir Alec Guinness, obviously not a risk, but Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. Uh, Harrison Ford, all big risks. I mean, Harrison Ford had been in American graffiti, but like played a, had a super minor role. It was his first lead role in a movie. I mean, I guess technically this is probably a supporting role, but it's just the gamble they took, but how perfect that character was when there was absolutely no way that character was written for him. uh, Is it, it's magic.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I completely agree. Y'all have picked two excellent MVPs. I think I'm going to go with our droid friends, c 3 po and R2D2 for my MVP. I I do think that the the sort of buddy comedy that is going on for the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie while they're out wandering in the desert uh, is is very enjoyable and uh you know their their personalities play off of each other nicely and of course you know we talk about R2 he he probably didn't um feature too much in the prequels but he still had some important parts to play uh, in some of the movies and I think that that remains true here like uh, you know it's it's the message that uh, is put inside R2 you know Leia trusts R2 to deliver the message and that's what starts this whole thing so yeah props to R2 and obviously C-3PO uh, is is pretty hilarious agreed alright guys let's let's put a score on the original Star Wars I mean uh, this is a, a big moment here. How can you how can you put a score on a movie so iconic? Uh, Jay, on your adjusted scale. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to bet Jay goes gotta, like 12 uh,
2: point something on his scale to make sure it stays linear for the rest of the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we, we definitely have a problem uh, <laughs> given how high the others are scored. Um, but, I've got a
0: bad feeling about this. Right?
1: Um, 8.9. I'm going to give it an eight point nine. I, I Scott, really enjoyed that movie. It, you know, might be dinged ever so slightly for a few minor things, and I think I can, you know, mostly try to put the prequels aside and just look at it on its own. Eight point
0: nine. Scott, how about you? I'm giving this one an eight point seven. Good film. I mean, as much as I want to give this movie a ten, like be, just because it, you know, it gave the world Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars would not exist without this movie. Um, you know, I there are a few shortcomings. Um, it, it's hard to to talk about them to you know acknowledge them when there's so much good in this movie. Um, and I'm still giving it a nine point four, so I still think it's uh it's an incredibly good movie. So, um, yeah, yeah uh, it, it holds up, still slaps, and uh, can't wait uh, to to round out the original trilogy with you guys, uh, on the next couple of episodes. Yeah, nine point four. Uh, Luke's not that all annoying. Right, no he's not uh all right that should just about do it for uh this episode of star wars countdown uh here from some like it scott don't forget to check out our other podcasts here in this feed uh some like it scott and champ's lunch uh you can follow both on their respective twitter accounts uh you can also check out our patreon page media plug pods uh, patreon.com slash media plug pods. Uh, and don't forget to like, uh, review, subscribe, do all of the things, uh, on the podcast app, uh, so that we can continue to grow our listener base. Uh, and we hope you'll be back for our next episode in which we will be discussing 1980s Star Wars episode five, the empire strikes back. Uh, but until then, uh, I've been Scott Harvey for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. Uh, we'll see you next time.